Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, pairing beer and music since 1988. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. Listen critically, enjoy responsibly. From WBEZ Chicago and PRX, this is Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. Summer's upon us, and that means it's road trip season. What better time for a cross-country adventure? We'll take a virtual trip from coast to coast, picking our favorite tracks about great American cities, states, and regions. Plus, I'll take a trip of a different kind to the Desert Island Jukebox, and we'll review the final album from rock's master of driving songs, Chuck Berry. Me walking alone. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. This is Sound Opinions, and later on in the show, we are going to review the final studio album from Chuck Berry. He announced that he was uh, recording this album, a big surprise, last year. Uh, He hadn't made an album since 1979, Jim. That's a long drought. And then he died in March, and then, lo and behold, a few weeks later, we have this final studio album from Chuck Berry. That's later on in the show. You know, but first, Greg, a summer is upon us. That means vacation time. Mm -hmm. To me, that's always meant road trips. Uh, You know, I did some calculus uh, from playing in different bands, going on tour through the years, speaking engagements you and I have done. I have visited 32 of our 50 fine states, often uh, driving all the way. You know, I mean, summer, driving, road trip, they go together hand in hand, and you cannot take a road trip of any kind without a great soundtrack. So our notion is I'd start on one coast, you'd start on the other, and we'd do some of our favorite songs uh, of all time about particular places we will be driving through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm starting in New York. When when you're talking about New York, I could play anything by the Ramones, everything by the Velvet Underground or LCD Sound System. New York, I love you, but you're bringing me down, right? Mm-hmm. All right, so we were dri- digging a little deeper, or at least I was. I'm starting with Empire State of Mind by Jay-Z and Alicia Keys, which I will confess when Jay's uh, Blueprint 3 album came out in 2009, I was not initially a, a fan of this song. I think uh, Jay's been past his prime uh, for a long time. I am not a huge fan of Alicia Keys, who sings the chorus. But I got to confess, I-, I hear this song fairly <laughs> often now in grocery stores, you know, and, and and I've come around. I've come to really like this song. And I didn't realize some of the story behind it. Originally, Jay was going to tap Mary J. Blige to sing that chorus. It was written by a, a young woman who grew up with him in a particular apartment building in uh, in Brooklyn. And so it, it references at one point 560 State Street. That's where Hova grew up. This is one of those great New York, New York, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere kind of upbeat songs without the inherent cheese of everything by Billy Joel or even that Sinatra anthem. Here it is. 
Empire State of Mind by Jay-Z and Alicia Keys on Sound Opinions. Yeah, yeah, I'm out at Brooklyn. Now I'm down in Tribeca, right next to the Nero. But I'll be hood forever. I'm the new Sinatra. And since I made it here, I can make it anywhere. Yeah, they love me everywhere. I used to cop in Harlem. All of my Dominicanos right there up on Broadway. Pulled me back to that McDonald's. Took it to my stash spot, 560 State Street. Catch me in the kitchen like a Simmons whipping pastry. Cruising down A Street, off-white Lexus. Driving so slow, but BK is from Texas Me, I'm out that Bed-Stuy, home of that boy Biggie Now I live on Billboard, and I brought my boys with me Say what up to Tata, still sipping my ties Sitting courtside, Knicks and Nets give me high five I be spiked out, I could trip a referee Tell by my attitude that I'm most definitely from Jay-Z and Alicia Keys. Greg, what's the first stop on your tour? Where are you starting out? I'm going to start in California and L.A., Jim. Um, And I was thinking quintessential Los Angeles songs. And uh, the first thing that popped into my mind, believe it or not, was Warren Zevon. Because I I, I thought in so many ways his writing uh, encapsulated what that city was like. Sort of the the dark underbelly of Los Angeles. Uh, And I sort of gravitate toward those dark underbelly type of songs. Well, Los Uh, Angeles just screams noir. Well, Zivon, and it's good that you bring that up because Zivon is a big fan of the uh, Pulp Fiction writer. And and Pulp Fiction writer almost uh, denigrates him in in a way that he doesn't deserve. But Ross MacDonald is Mm. a great fiction writer. He wrote those hard-boiled detective novels. His recurring character was this uh, private detective, Lou Archer. Mm. Uh, Zivon was taking cues from that sort of scenario of this this guy who's a hard-drinking guy uh, working his job, but he's not really sure he likes it anymore. Um, And the song Desperados Under the Eaves is set with all sorts of Los Angeles signifiers. It begins with the narrator sitting in the Hollywood Hawaiian Hotel, uh, sitting there nursing a cup of coffee, and it's clear this guy has a doozy of a hangover. Not the first time in his life <laughs> that he's had a hangover. He's had one every day of his life, it almost seems like. And I love the way, not only is this a song about personal dissolution, loneliness, Los Angeles, but it's also about climate change. I mean, it's got Ahead all, of, its all time. of California that you could possibly uh, want in, in just a few short lines. Great Los Angeles song from his uh, debut album in 1976 from Warren Zevon. This was before Werewolves of London. Yeah. This is his best album. The song is called Desperados Under the Eaves on Sound Opinions. I was sitting in the Hollywood Hawaiian Hotel I was staring in my empty coffee cup I was thinking that the gypsy wasn't blind All the salty margaritas in Los Angeles I'm gonna drink them up And if California slides into the ocean Like the mystics and statistics say it will I predict 
this motel will be standing until I pay my bill. What don't the summer gang with the trees? Don't the trees look like crucified bees? Don't you feel like desperados under the up in the mornings with shaking hands and I'm trying to find a girl who understands me but except in dreams you're never really free don't the sun look angry at me Desperado's Under the Eaves, a great L.A. song, West Coast song by Warren Zevon. Where are you going next, Jim? I'm uh, going to the great Midwest, uh, Greg. We are here, of course, in Chicago. Uh, That would have been far too obvious. There are so many great songs about Detroit, too, and Cleveland, even. But no, I'm going to play a song about a state, one of the rare states, like I said, I've been to like 33, that I've never been. I've never been to Kansas. You Mm -hmm. ever been to Kansas? No, I have not. I've never been to Kansas. Uh, Wichita Lineman, you know, by, by Glenn Campbell. What an amazing song. Uh, Some critics have said it is one of the best pop songs ever written. Um, Written by Jimmy Webb, the great American songwriter, back in 1968. Recorded by Glenn Campbell with backing from the members of the Wrecking Crew. Early in Glenn's career, you know, that that incredible cast of L.A. session musicians. Carol Kay on bass, Jim Gordon on drums, James Burton, the great Mm -hmm. guitarist. What a song. He's talking about a guy uh, that he saw in Oklahoma, uh, Jimmy Webb, on top of a telephone pole. Now, kids are not going to know what we're talking about. The lineman is fixing telephone lines. Mm. Once, Junior, there was a, a, a wire to every phone in America. Not the case anymore. Um, something about the melancholy of this song and something about the space in the arrangement just to me typifies those vast American plains uh, of the great Midwest. So uh, Wichita Lineman by the great Glenn Campbell on Sound Opinions. I am a lineman for the county And I drive the main road Searching in the sun for another overload I hear you singing in the wire I can hear you through the wine And the Wichita lineman Is still on the line I know I need a small vacation But it don't look like rain And if it snows that stretch down south Won't ever stand the strain And I need you more than won't you And I want you for all time 
and the Wichita lineman is still on the line. He was a lineman for the county, Greg. Wichita lineman by Glenn Campbell. Jim, that's a great pick, uh, but we're going to take a break for a second and turn it over to our listeners who are going to give some of their picks with songs about great American cities and regions. Hi, I'm Kurt from Seattle, and I chose Malibu by Hull. For me, the song is evocative of a paradise that feels like you could reach it just by getting in your car and driving. But it's not just about the city Malibu, um, which I've never actually been to. I've been through it. But I used to drive down the California coast to visit friends from college in uh, Santa Barbara area. And so I know that feeling that the song evokes of you know, sun and, and wind in your hair and, and your, your troubles are behind you and the future is bright. It, it feels like kind of a post-punk updated version of that mid-60s or, or even earlier dream that, you know, the Beach Boys or the Mamas and Papas or the Birds were conveying that come out here and life will be better. Yet there's kind of a dark edge to it where you know that the dream is a lie or you probably aren't going to be able to reach it, but you still want to believe that dream and you still want to reach for it. And it, it always feels like it's just a, a road trip away. I think Kirk did a pretty good job of selling Malibu by Hole there, uh, Greg, but I never thought that record was Courtney Love's uh, best moment. I, I don't want Courtney to be sunny. Yeah, Sonny and Courtney don't go together, generally <laughs> no, speaking. No, I never thought so. But, uh, you know, I love uh, Kurt's description of what that song evokes. I once took a road trip up the Pacific Coast Highway from oh, yeah. L.A. to San Francisco. Only time I ever got car sick. Yeah. It, well, there's a, a lot oh. of winding roads, right? And you're on the edge of the, like, the cliff. Yeah. But, it, but if you got that convertible going and you got the sun setting in the west and, you know, your your hair's flying or what, <laughs> what if, if your hair can fly, that's Greg where it's going to go. Cotton a convertible. There you go. How about another caller? My name is Miriam, and I'm calling from Chicago. When I think of road trip songs, I immediately think of Gordon Lightfoot's The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Um, Every summer growing up, my family would take a road trip up from Chicago to just north of Duluth on Lake Superior. And um, this is a song that kind of really gets you in the mood to be traveling to Lake Superior. The legend lives on from the Chippewa on down the big lake they call Gitchagumi. The lake, it is said, never gives up her dead when the skies of November turn gloomy. 
anyone knows who's been to the North Shore, it's not a, a you know flip flops and and sand kind of place. It's it's the lake is very cold and deep and mysterious and kind of threatening. And so hearing that song every summer when we're in our Oldsmobile uh, custom cruiser. Um, you know, when we'd approach Eau Claire, Wisconsin, would really get us in the mood for um, a Lake Superior vacation. Coming back from some mill in Wisconsin, as the big freighters go, it was bigger than most, with a crew and good captain well seasoned, concluding some terms with a couple of steel firms when they left fully loaded for Cleveland. Then later that night, when the ship's bell rang, could it be the north wind they've been feeling? You know, nothing says vacation, Greg, like a shipwreck. <laughs> I'm not, I don't know if I, I follow Miriam's thinking there. I do love that song. What's more, I will tell you, Miriam, that that is one of Greg Cott's favorite songs of all time. You have waxed rhapsodic about it on the oh, show. Oh, it is. I can't. Uh, it's one of those songs that uh, is an all-timer, without a doubt. It creates uh, such a mood. And it puts you in that place. And, uh, you know, it, it has just only exacerbated my fear of deep, deep, dark up bodies of water. That's true. <laughs> you, you know, I can't even talk you into taking a road trip with me, but but I've, I've talked about doing... I'm not good like, on boats. I'm you know, not you're good not on good boats. on boats. Yeah. I've wanted to do that. What's your next pick? Jim, you had mentioned the great songwriter Jimmy Webb earlier in the show in regard to Wichita Lineman, Glenn Campbell's amazing version of, of Webb's uh, song. And I'm going to bring up Jimmy Webb again because he wrote many great songs, including the one I'm going to play next, By the Time I Get to Phoenix, a song that no less than Frank Sinatra called the greatest torch song ever written, one of the most covered songs of the 60s and 70s and beyond. Uh, Johnny Rivers recorded the original version in 65, and Glenn Campbell recorded his own version in 67. Mm -hmm. Now, probably more people know that version of the song than the one I'm going to play. But I think the version that uh, Isaac Hayes did on his Hot Buttered Soul album in 1969 is the definitive version. It is 18 minutes and 40 seconds <laughs> of prime Isaac Hayes. He turns, and we're done for the week. You know, and we were talking about this concept of, of journeying across the country and I think Isaac Hayes' version of this song evokes that uh, perfectly because uh, the, the song's basically about a breakup. A guy uh, decides finally, after a long, torturous uh, relationship with a woman, um, and he's tried to leave her many times before. He's never been able to do it. Finally, he builds up the gumption to, to say, I'm, I'm going. It was a great affair, but it, it clearly has run its course, and I need to leave. So he, before she gets up in the morning, he's, he sets off, uh, heads east from Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And his, uh, his first destination is Phoenix, hence the title of the song. Hayes uh, takes the song and, and does the whole preamble. I'm talking about the power of love now. I'm going to tell you what love can do. You know when they say love makes the world go round, that's the truth. Love can make you or break you. And he said he did it to get the audience's attention. He said he told his band he fell in love with the song. He says, we're going to do it live. Uh, you guys just vamp behind me, and I'm going to get this audience's attention somehow because they're all talking. And suddenly they're all paying attention to him. And he said, you know, by the time I got done 18 minutes later, there wasn't a dry eye in the house <laughs> because he had built up this incredible yeah, yeah, yeah. sense of mood about this melancholy of this guy leaving uh, his love and at the same time imagining what she's going through as she comes to the slowly comes to the realization that he ain't coming back for the first time. Um, he's tried to leave before, but this is this is for, for real. This is Isaac Hayes singing By the Time I Get to Phoenix, or at least a little snippet of his 18-minute version on Sound Opinions. 
Isaac Hayes' version of By the Time I Get to Phoenix. Nice one, Greg Cott. You listeners at home, do you have a favorite song about a place in the United States visited while road tripping? Give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. After a short break, we'll continue our musical road trip, and later we'll review the final album from the legendary guitarist and singer Chuck Berry. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. You cry just to think I, I would really leave. But time after time after time after time and time again, I tried to tell her so. But she was a I would really go Oh no I hate to leave you baby Yes I do I really 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 hate to go Oh yeah Welcome back to Sound Opinions I'm Greg Cott and my partner is Jim Dirigatis This week we're taking a musical road trip across the country We're playing songs about cities, states, and locations from coast to coast. And Jim, you're up next. I am, Greg. I am going to play a song about Montana. Montana is one of the most beautiful places I've ever driven through. I think we stopped when my band was on tour for dinner there, but uh, that's about it. But man, those mountains and driving through. And I'm going to try to make some listeners happy. I have to say, of the tweets and Facebook messages and emails and calls we get, people always want us to tackle Frank Zappa. 
Now, neither of us are big Zappa fans. Uh, Someday, maybe we'll go into it properly. I mean, to me, I always thought there was a coldness in the precision of the virtuosity of so much of Zappa's music. I like Zappa when Zappa was doing songs. And I think there are about a dozen great ones he gave us over the course of you know, 60 or 100 albums. Montana is one of the great ones. 1973, it is completely absurd. Sometimes Frank could go too far in the absurdity. Uh, This one's right on the line. He's talking about going to Montana to grow a crop of dental floss, and he's riding a pony to get there. I think it's got a great hook. The lyrics are bizarre. You know, there's really no Montana in Montana except for the title. The other thing, though, that you got to celebrate is Tina Turner and the Iquettes do the backing vocals. And apparently Zappa, as was his habit, wrote such a complicated part. It took uh, Tina and the Iquettes three days of rehearsal to master the goofy little part. They make the song, though. It's wonderful. So, for all of you listeners who've been asking for Frank Zappa, here's some Frank Zappa, Montana, on Sound Opinion. I might be moving to Montana soon Just to raise me up a crop of dental floss raising it up waxing it down in a little white box that I can sell uptown by myself I wouldn't have no boss but I'd be raising my lonely dental floss I just might grow me some bees, but I'd leave the sweet stuff to somebody else. But then, on the other hand, I would keep the wax and melt it down, pluck some floss, and swish it around. I'd have me a crop, and it'd be on top. That's why I'm moving to Montana. Moving to Montana soon. Gonna be a dental floss tycoon. Yes, I am. Moving to Montana soon. Gonna be a dental floss Montana by Frank Zappa, and I gotta add, Jim, I, I do like a lot of Zappa. Those early concept albums were only in it for the money. Some of the guitar-based albums that he did later on. I, I actually like find Joe's Garage. I actually find some of the goofy songs, the sort of uh, satiric songs that he did, a little bit much sometimes. But I yeah, thought he was yeah. a brilliant uh, well, then let's do musician the and arranger. Yeah, where we, we get we get requests all the time. Let's do it. Give the, the people what they want. The problem right. with Zeppa is where do we start? There's like, you know, a hundred some albums in the catalog. We'd do a year-long year right? series <laughs> and then take a, take a break. We could. But I'm glad you brought up that song because of the Tina Turner connection. Mm-hmm. And, and that's exactly where I'm going next. I'm going with Ike and Tina Turner, the uh, the song Nutbush City Limits. Oh, yeah. I've heard several versions of how this song was written. Many of them say that uh, that Tina originated the song. It's It's, it's about her upbringing in in this rural town, Nutbush, in western Tennessee. 
as some say that Ike wrote the music, some say that she basically did the whole song herself. Uh, in, in, in some versions, she's the sole credited songwriter on Nutbush. The point is that their relationship was uh, dissolving at this point. This would be the last great single that the duo would create before they broke up acrimoniously in the early 70s. It was released in 1973, but what a performance by both of them, really. That driving guitar riff, there's a synthesizer solo in the middle of it that's just insane, Uh, and the horns riffing. It's a tremendous arrangement, very powerful. Uh, Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band later did their own version of the song. They were huge fans, as were countless rock bands. Uh, But it's Tina's performance that carries it. Uh, The level of the detail in the songwriting about where she grew up. No whiskey for sale, you get drunk, no bail. Salt pork and molasses is all you get in jail. (laughs) You know, it's not a town you want to get locked up in. Um, No. Her amazing movie-like descriptions of what it meant to grow up in this little town uh, are priceless. Nutbush City Limits by Ike and Tina Turner on Sound Opinion. A church house gin house A schoolhouse outhouse On highway number 19 The people keep the city clean They call it Nutbush Oh, Nutbush On a Nutbush City Limit 25 was the speed limit Motorcycle not allowed in it You're gonna stole on Fridays You're going to church on Sundays They call it Nutbush A little old town Oh, Nutbush They call it Nutbush City Limit You're gonna deal on weekdays And have a picnic on Labor Day You're going to town on Saturdays But go to church every Sunday They call it Nutbush Oh, Nutbush They call it Nutbush City Limits Nutbush City Limits from Ike and Tina Turner about Nutbush in western Tennessee on Sound Opinions. Greg, let's turn to our listeners for some more picks from them about uh, great places they visited while road tripping, and then we'll come back and give our final selections. This is Matt calling from Atlanta, Georgia. My pick for road trip song is Southbound 95 by Avail. So I chose that song because it embodies Richmond, Virginia. Whenever you take a road trip out of Richmond, Virginia, when you come back to Richmond, Virginia, you listen to this song. I'm calling from Atlanta, but I lived in uh, Richmond for 10 years. The music scene in Richmond is really fantastic. Everyone in Richmond knows Avail. The lyrics are basically got to make it to Dixie. It kind of pumps you up when you're driving back to the city or even driving through the city. It kind of just gets you in the mood for Richmond, VA, you know, hard rock. (laughs) 
Well, I know one thing. I'd be breaking a lot of laws if I was driving with that song on. It's like I've got the accelerator down all the way right now. There is a problem when, when doing a mixtape of songs for a road trip. Uh, you you got to make sure they, they kind of have certain beats per minute not to exceed the speed limit. we got one more caller, Greg. Hey, everybody. This is Joe calling in from New York. And one of my favorite songs for traveling, especially in a certain region, is uh, Aspen Glow by John Denver. I'm a huge snowboarder. My family, they love the winter. That song just brings out that whole feeling of weightlessness. The snow is just falling and extremely silent, blanketing the earth. So tranquil and peaceful. See the sunlight through the pines. Taste the warm of winter wine Dream of softly falling snow Winter's gold, aspen glow As the winter days unfold It's just you and the elements. For me, it makes me go out to Colorado for snowboarding for the Rocky Mountains. So it's about a cold subject. It's a warm song for me. Aspen is a life to live See how much there is to give. See how wow. Oh, you know, I got to say, after the Avail song, yeah. I, I feel like uh, that scene out of Tommy Boy where they get arrested for driving too slow. Yeah. You know, it's just like... <laughs> I think our producers are having too much fun pairing Avail <laughs> and John Denver. And I don't know, Joe Joe seemed passionate about that uh, Aspen Glow. I would have gone with Rocky Mountain High. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's There's just me. A lot of ways you could have gone. Uh, Greg, my last pick, I am on the West Coast, the left coast, as they say. I'm in California. Okay, all right. Same thing with New York, right? Every song by the Beach Boys, virtually, right? Of course, you got Hotel California by the Eagles. You know, I really wanted to play California Sun by the Rivieras, mm-hmm. um, but we've talked about that on the show. So I am going to um, risk exposing a nerdette side of myself here. I really liked that stupid bad TV show, The O.C. (laughs) I don't know why I liked it. It was just so dumb. The theme song for The O.C., teen soap opera, was by Phantom Planet. They were kind (laughs) of a third-tier, late, late, alt-era group. You know, came together in the mid-'90s, didn't put out an album until 98. Not a particularly good group. Never had another moment that I would celebrate. But for whatever reasons, uh, opening the OC every week, that song, California, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it, it, I don't know. It makes me feel sun and 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 pine trees and beaches and all those wonderful California things, Northern California, Southern California, the whole darn state. Co-songwriting credit to this uh, had to be given to the estate of Al Jolson, because uh, th- there were charges that uh, California Here I Come was ripped off by Phantom Planet. Now, I don't, I don't hear those two things if we did an A-B. But, uh, I mean, to me, Phantom Planet's one and only moment, you know, was giving the OC its theme. Uh, thank you for not guffawing at me. Uh, but here is Phantom Planet with California. We've been on the run, driving in the sun, looking out for number one. California, here we come, right back where we started from. Well, hustlers, grab your guns, your shadow weighs a ton, driving down the 101. California, here we come, right back where we started from. California. California. 
back where we started from A pedal to the floor, thinking of the war Gotta get us to the show California, here we come Right back where we started from California Greg, sing it with me. California! <laughs> the dulcet tones of Jim DeRigato. Yes. Phantom Planet. How are you a... not famous as a singer? I, uh, I love criticism too much. <laughs> what is your last pick? You're Jim, on the on the East Coast. Now. I am on the East Coast, and uh, I'm going to go with the Standells and Dirty Water, oh. a uh, definitive Boston song. Boston has embraced that song big time. You hear it at the end of Boston Bruins games, yeah. at the end of Red Sox victories. They love this song. It was uh, originally in, uh, issued in 1965, a big breakthrough hit, sort of in that first wave of American garage rock that emerged after the British invasion. The you know, Nuggets the, band. The Beatles yes. and the Stones inspired all these bands to basically like a bunch of white guys in the suburbs or, um, you know, is, or the cities occasionally who would, uh, you know, want to be black. They want to imitate R&B bands, you know, and, and with their guitars. Well, they wanted to imitate the Brits, imitating, imitating the American The African-American yeah. singers, absolutely. And, and uh, this is what the, the Standells were going for in Dirty Water. Now, it is a slice of absolute garage rock nastiness, and I say that with the highest possible praise. There's almost a depraved quality in the lead vocals by Dick Dodd, one Dick Dodd. Um, and, and he's singing about lovers, muggers, and thieves, you know, being down by this dirty river, the River Charles in Boston. Yeah. And what are you going to make of it, buddy? Yeah, you know, yeah, you're going to yeah. argue with me about my town. And, and then he sings, Boston, you're my home. Well, no, actually, Dick, it's not your home. You were uh, born in uh, Hermosa, California. Wow. And the Standells were a California band singing this amazing ode to uh, an East Coast city, Boston, that Boston has come to embrace as one of its primary theme songs. So how did this song get written? Ed Cobbs, the producer of the band, he wrote a lot of their a lot of their music. He saw a news item. It was about the curfew regulations for female students at Boston University. Mm. And out of this news item, he built this entire song about you know how the the women are frustrated because they can't go out after midnight. Wow. Uh, you know, and 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 built this whole scenario about this dirty river. The St. Charles had been mocked nationally for being polluted, and uh, just a wonderful song celebrating Boston, even though it is kind of a dirty city, and it's got some rules that we don't like, but we still love it anyway. Um, And as I said, the nastiness in that lead vocal and that guitar riff can't be topped. It is the Standells with Dirty Water on Sound Opinions. I'm going to tell you a story.
Dirty Water from the Standells, a California band writing an ode to Boston, uh, written by Ed Cobb, who also, Jim, besides being the producer and songwriter in the Standells, also wrote Tainted Love. Wow. For Gloria Jones, later covered by Soft yeah. Cell. Interesting. Well, that wraps up our road trip, Greg, at least for this summer. But we want to hear from you. What's your pick for a great song about an American city, state, or region that you've driven through? Leave us a message at 888-859-1800 or connect with us on Facebook or Twitter. When we get back, we're going to review the posthumous final album by Chuck Berry. And Jim, you're going to add a track to the Desert Island Jukebox. What are you going to play? Greg, I'm a little edgy. A little edgy this week. So I am going to play a contender for one of the nastiest songs in the history of rock and roll. (laughs) Although it's only two minutes long, so hang with it. That's In a Minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and BRX. Back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRigatis, and that is a track from the final studio album by Chuck Berry. The track is called Big Boys. It's got Tom Morello beefing up the guitar section in it. Chuck Berry uh, dead at the age of 90 in March. He left us with this eponymous final album, simply called Chuck. Does this man need any introduction? We did an entire show yeah. about him after he died a few weeks ago. He is one of the architects of rock and roll. Uh, a vision of freedom articulated in his music. He gave a poetry to the lyrics, defined its guitar sound from Maybelline to Johnny B. Good, countless classic songs. John Lennon once said, if you tried to give rock and roll another name, you might call it Chuck Berry. First album since 1979. We finally got it a few weeks after his death. Here's a track from Chuck. It's called Wonderful Woman by Chuck Berry on Sound Opinions. Oh, well. This just makes my day There's a wonderful woman She just walked by my way Well, I was standing there Tumbling like a leaf on a willow tree Hoping the great big beautiful eyes Would fall on me I just wish from thinking But I hope that it still might be So beautiful 
That is Wonderful Woman from Chuck Berry's first album in 38 years. It's simply entitled Chuck. Greg, I think um, critics have been in a dangerous place in the last two years as we have seen this onslaught of posthumous releases that were in the pipeline, ready to go, just before the artist died. Last year, we had Black Star by David Bowie, You Want It Darker by Leonard Cohen. I said we would mention Glenn Campbell again in this show. He has just released an album called Adios, kind of a morbid Mm -hmm. title. He is in the final stages of that cruelest of diseases, Alzheimer's. And now we had this. Chuck, he was ready to drop it on us for a while. Some of these songs now go back to the same period that produced his last record, Rocket, in 79. Um, I think the critic has to be the one to step back and say, divorce uh, your opinion from this piece of art, from the love you have for Chuck Berry and the understanding and appreciation of how important he was to the history of rock and roll, and listen to this on its own terms. There are a couple of moments that are kind of sort of maybe all right. Wonderful Woman, which we played, the song uh, Big Boys, kind of. Chuck is playing up Uh, that he knows the end is near. One thing for certain, ain't none of us going to get away from here alive, he sings. Then there are some of the worst songs in the history of Chuck Berry. You know, that song, Jamaica Moon, a sort of Caribbean thing. It it just does not work. We still alone, we sip on the rum. We had began to tell me that the boat no come. I don't like his Lady Be Good. It's a tribute to his wife. Okay, fine, that's nice, but it's not a great song. Those two horrible talking blues that end the album, Dutchman and Eyes of Man. You know, Chuck suddenly in, like, Guy at the End of the Bar storyteller mm-hmm. mode. Yeah. Those who do not know and do not know that they do not know are foolish, are Some of his attempts at doing uh, the sort of lyrical punning. I don't mean to be titillating, he says, you know, are are not what they once were. His voice is gone. There's not even a heck of a lot of great guitar here. So Chuck Berry, one of the most important figures in the history of rock and roll, but stay away from Chuck. It's a trash hit record that will not enhance your appreciation of this talent. Yeah, it's, you know, I I think in some ways it's predictable. The guy hasn't made a record in in decades. Um, He's trying to pick up where he left off, but where he left off wasn't in a particularly good place. A lot of those those 70s albums were kind of uh, patchwork. But here we have an artist clearly referencing a lot of his older hits, uh, you know, you know, when you hear back in the USA and you you never can tell references in one song, yeah. Wonderful Woman, yeah. you realize, you know, hey, this guy's maybe run out of riffs. He's trying to remind people of who he was. The one thing that I find kind of, uh, you know, charming about this record is that, you know, he does talk about his family. He's got his uh, couple of his kids performing on the record. His daughter's singing with him. His son is playing guitar. He's got a grandson playing guitar on the album. Uh, you know, the, the song about his wife, that's, you know, one of the few times I can recall him ever really talking about his family in his songwriting. And you did mention the fact that he's got these oddball songs at the end of the record. And I actually found those kind of intriguing. Like, mm. what an odd character Chuck Berry really is. I mean, if you listen to some of the wordplay in a song like Dutchman, there, there, there's, the, there's this bit about this dog licking this the drifter's hand, the narrator's hand. Yeah. Sick and Fido, a redhead shouted, show him his way back to the street. 
But the Great Dane just walked over and licked his hand and laid down at his feet. That's kind of a complicated little metaphor there. Would you play it again for enjoyment? Yeah, you know, in terms of a musical accomplishment, it's kind of low down the scale of of Chuck Berry. (laughs) But it it does sort of give some insight into here's this man and and what's he think? What is his real view of the world? So it has sort of an odd appeal, I think, to Chuck Berry historians and, and people who loved his music and his career and what he meant. But to a casual fan, this is a trash at record. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. Remember, we were shipwrecked together. As often as possible on Sound Opinions, we like to take a trip to the desert island and play a song we cannot live without. Jim, what do you got? Like I said, Greg, it starts to get hot. Summer comes on. I get a little edgy. I get a little nasty. I get a little surly. I'm going to play a contender for one of the nastiest songs in the history of rock and roll. Teenage Jesus and the (laughs) Jerks. Lydia Lunch. Wow. I met her at CBGB once at a hardcore matinee when I was a kid in the 80s. She scared me. She was across the room, and she scared me. She was scary in Teenage Jesus. She's scary today. They never put out an album in their lifetime. This was part of the No New York movement. No New York was an LP that came out after the initial punk explosion, produced by Brian Eno, which highlighted a scene that it consisted of Pure noise rockers. They were getting rid of those nice songs at the heart of the Ramones and the Talking Heads and television, and they were just making an incredible racket. I'm talking about bands like DNA, The Contortions, Suicide to some degree, Mars, and of course, Lydia Lunch's Teenage Jesus and the Jerks. It was so radical for a band like this to be fronted by a woman who was an incredibly uh, frightening and and dramatic personality who uh, disdained chords. I mean, she didn't even want chords, right? <laughs> the Ramones had boiled punk down to three chords. Mm-hmm. Lydia said, and I quote, what is the point of even having chords? <laughs> All these progressions had been played to death. Instead, she would break a bottle of beer on stage at CBGB and attack the guitar. That's what you're going to hear. One favorite rock critic, second bell of the day, thank you, Lester Bangs said <laughs> of, of the first Teenage Jesus and the Jerks EP, like the Beatles 65 or Blonde on Blonde, this is one of the landmarks of rock and roll Mm -hmm. history. I I think that's a bit of hyperbole. I think even (laughs) Lester knew that. But I love the fact that there are only three lines of lyric here. Uh, It is primarily Lydia attacking uh, with fury uh, the guitar. Uh, The drums are just one, two, three, four, right? Little orphans running through the bloody snow. No more ankles and no more clothes, right? I mean, that's it, man. That's it. And boy, is it scary as hell. So I'm in an orphan's kind of mood. Teenage Jesus and the Jerks on Sound Opinions.
My Desert Island Jukebox pick. The absolute antithesis of summer songs. Orphans by Teenage Jesus and the Jerks. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Great pick, Jim. We needed that right now. I needed it. Best of the year so far next week, Jim. Our top albums of 2017 so far. But listen, uh, we're not going to do it on our own. We're counting on you, our listeners, to chime in with your picks. Call our hotline, 888-859-1800. Sound Opinions Great is produced, as always, by Brendan Banasak, Evan Chung, Alex Claiborne, and Iona Contreras. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. You know This is John Powell of Ferguson, Missouri. Both of you were so wrong in your reappraisal of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. The reason the album worked as a whole and was appealing to so many is because the Beatles created a soundscape about the little and big things in life that could be seen through psychedelic eyes. You properly brought up the context of the times, but missed what they were trying to do. Show the familiar with new eyes and new sounds. And the album does rock. The guitars in several of the songs show the Beatles were evolving in their guitar attack. Gee, Sgt. Pepper's wouldn't have been done by Jimi Hendrix if he didn't recognize that fact. Yeah, if people like Abbey Road, the White Album, or Revolver better, sure, it makes sense. But I think very few people would say this isn't a definitive Buy It album. I was so flabbergasted listening to you both that I thought, they must just want to be cool kids by going against the mainstream. But I've never thought that was a possibility with you two until now. Thanks for listening, and I'll keep listening to you, but more critically. My name is Barbara Schaefer. I was so frustrated with your review of Sgt. Pepper's. I really think you got the cultural context wrong. For example, in She's Leaving Home, I think She's Leaving Home is a counterpoint song about the alienation between generations. It, to me, is akin to the Beatles' version of Dylan's The Times They Are Changing, but from a third-person point of view rather than from the student or the the generational point of view. I do not think it's in support of the parents. She, we never thought of ourselves Never a thought for ourselves We've struggled hard all our lives to get by With Sgt. Peppers, there's a sense of freedom and play and the idea to create identities. It's very Fellini-esque along with their movies. Thank you. Hi, this is John Geckerman. I'm calling from Grants Pass, Oregon. I was just listening to your slam of the Sgt. Pepper's album and fortunately you gave us a clue. You were three years old when it came out so you have no idea of the context of the album. It was for that time for that place. Granted, it's a period piece, 
But unless you live through those times, you have no idea of the community that existed. Sgt. Pepper's was an Us album. Everybody knew what we were up to. We all knew we could get by with a little help from our friends, and we were all friends. Sorry you missed it. Bye, kids. Kristen, I'm calling from New Jersey. I just have to say a few things. Uh, without Sgt. Pepper, I don't think you two would have a job. Uh, it made people think of pop music as something more than just disposable bubblegum. The themes in Sgt. Pepper are timeless. I was three years old when it came out, but you can bet I discovered it for myself at 14, and it made sense to me. At that point in their careers, they could have become hacks, or they could have rested on their laurels. They chose to try and make something new. Yeah, they might have been a little ridiculous, but I can't help but still admire their ambition. They changed the genre. With one album, they changed the way things sound. So, yeah, it's still a buy it for me, guys. Thanks. Bye. No more messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.